I'd like to welcome all of you to part two of Waiting for Christmas. If you're interested and weren't here last week um, for part one, you are very much invited to check it out online and you can catch up and feel like, uh, like you've heard the first part of the story, so to speak. Um, if you're brand new here at Bethlehem, let me point out uh, something you maybe already saw, but there is a colored insert in your service folder that has an outline on one side and some questions on the other. Um, the outline is meant to be a, a way for you to follow along and maybe even uh, fill in the blank a little blanks that we'll go through. And then the Bible study on the back side, you can take home and uh, either do it as a family or uh, we use those in our small groups as well. So there are exactly two weeks left until Christmas. Did you realize that? I mean, it is coming quickly. And when you think about that, 14 days until Christmas, what do you think? How are you feeling? Um, For me, it's like cold sweats. Like, oh my goodness, there is a lot to do. My wife probably hasn't even told me everything that I still need to do before Christmas comes. And then there's all the things that I know that I need to do here at church as well before Christmas comes. So two weeks seems to be like nothing. Um, But when I was a kid, I remember it wasn't that way. Like two weeks seemed like an eternity until you got to open the Atari 7600 or whatever it was, right? Like 14 sleeps, because they count in sleeps, right? 14 sleeps until Christmas, like that's more than the finger. That's a lot of sleeps until we get to Christmas. And, And two weeks seemed like forever. And then in my house, we had a tradition that maybe you guys had as well at your home. But there's this thing called the Advent calendar. We have it at our house. And so what the Advent calendar is, is kind of like a countdown to Christmas. This one uh, sort of has flaps for all the days in December. And on each day in the morning, you're supposed to find the numbered flap and open it and they make these better now. Like, this one has chocolate in it. Like, when I opened it as a kid, there's like this glittery picture. You know, it was like nothing. Like, anyway, but the idea is I think the originators of the advent calendar wanted to increase your anticipation for a really, really important day. But as a kid, the advent calendar, especially on day one, two, and three, it's like a torturous thing. Like, it is going to take forever to open up all these flaps, waiting for something you want is really, really hard. Now, it's, it's hard when you know it's going to be 25 days and then the wait's going to be over. What's harder than that is seasons of waiting that you've been in where you didn't know how long you're going to have to wait until whatever it was you were waiting for. Or, or maybe, maybe you were pretty certain that it wasn't going to happen at all. And you're waiting for something to change, waiting for something to happen in your life, and, and you weren't sure that it would happen at all. And waiting for something, and you don't know when it's going to happen or if it will happen, is really, really hard. So like, like waiting to have kids and it's been difficult for you, or waiting to find a spouse, Um, waiting for uh, you to feel better emotionally. You know, like sometimes you just want to feel better, but 
it's like there's this cloud and you're just waiting to feel better or waiting to feel better physically, that a doctor would find out what exactly it is that's causing your aches and pains, that they could do something about it. Um, Waiting for the right doors to open for the the career or the job that you enjoy instead of just the one that you're kind of muddling through, waiting for things to change. And, and, And the wait can be really hard. Would you not agree? Does this connect with any of you? Have you ever had to wait for something? <laughs> like, like all of us, we've, we've had to wait. And there's this thing that can, can happen in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our, our being tired of waiting, is that we pray about it for a while and maybe through the whole season of waiting. But after a while of prayer, after a while of waiting, like our patience goes from here to about here. And there's this thing in us, and I would call it sin, that starts to get resentful uh, uh, about life. Or how about this? Resentful, kind of, towards other people who already have the thing or whatever it is that you're waiting for. Or even, even resentment or being resentful towards God. And have you ever been waiting on the phone so long for someone to pick up that you wonder if the person on the other side, like if they put you on hold, has forgotten you? Have you ever felt that way about God? Like I've been waiting so long, I wonder if he's forgotten. Or maybe, maybe you believe in, in, in the all-knowing God like I do, and, and it, it's not that he forgot, but just that maybe my problems and all the things he has to do isn't necessarily on the top of the priority list. <laughs> if you can relate to any of that, if you've ever been in a season of waiting, well, I've got some great encouragement for you today as we continue this wait for Christmas through the words of a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah. Let me get you a little bit up to speed on this series. So last week, what we did was looked at some words from a prophet named Nathan to a pretty well-known king named David. David lived about a thousand years before Jesus. He lived and died before the first Christmas ever came. So he, he died waiting for Christmas to happen. But in the midst of his life, Nathan promised that from his line there would be an eternal king that would rule and reign eternally, that is, Jesus, the Son of God. Well, today we're going to fast forward about 250 years from the time of David. And so the context of our section is 750 B.C. If you look at the map here, The once thriving nation of Israel at the time of David, 250 years later, a lot has changed. It is now the kingdom divided into two parts. You you have the, the northern kingdom, which retained the name Israel. Then you have the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, where Jerusalem was a part of it. Now, Israel, let me give you a little bit of insight into their spiritual state. They had pretty much 100% gone away from God. At the time of our text, Israel really had no use for God anymore. And in 722 BC, they were conquered by the Assyrians. The kingdom of Judah, they kind of flip-flopped a lot. It depended who was king. So if there was a king who didn't 
love God, didn't follow God, the whole nation would follow the lead and they would set up idols and they would uh, drift away. And, and then there'd be a good king. Uh, like maybe some of you have heard the name Hezekiah or Josiah, or there's another one named Uzziah. There's a lot of ayahs going on in the, the kingliness of the David's line. Um, and, and these guys would would follow God and bring the whole nation back and get rid of the idols, and then they'd flip-flop back and kind of looks like our lives sometimes. Not that we totally reject God, but we have up days and down days in faith. Well, in the midst of this flip-flopping, God said, if you don't stay faithful to me, in my infinite wisdom, I'm going to allow for your nation to be conquered. And that's exactly what happened as the Babylonian nation came and conquered Jerusalem and Judah. Now, in this whole time frame of their flip-flopping and God sending words of potential judgment on them, what came onto the scene was a prophet that I mentioned earlier, a, a, a preacher named Isaiah. And he had a message of judgment and of warning, so it wasn't like the, the easiest message to share. But intertwined in this message of judgment, Isaiah also had a very clear message of hope and of deliverance for God's people if they would stay faithful to the Lord. And so today, for our study, and as we think about difficult times of waiting— we're going to look into one of the, the parts of this message. It's in Isaiah chapter 40. And the interesting thing in this section is that as Isaiah writes, he's, he's writing about something that hasn't yet happened, but yet God gave him insight into how the nation of Israel is going to act and react when they are conquered by the Babylonians. So verse 27, Isaiah is predicting how Israel would act in the midst of their deep difficulty and waiting. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Not a person, Jacob, but they're referencing the nation of Israel, the Israelites. And, and why do you say, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, that my cause is disregarded by my God? The way that this kingdom was conquered, um, I, I would say, would have um, been horrible. So what happened ultimately with the Babylonians is that as they were coming in on the city of Jerusalem, the capital, uh, they basically took Jerusalem and they had it under siege, which meant that they allowed no one to go in and no one to come out for over a year. Now, what happens in a town of a few thousand people when no one, nothing can come in or out for over a year? What happens is you run out of food. And what happens is people starve to death. And what happens is that the conditions become very unsanitary, and people die from really horrible diseases. And this is what was going to happen to the Israelites. And although they probably would have prayed, Lord, deliver us, in this moment, at this time, God was not answering that prayer the way they wanted. And Isaiah predicts that they're going to feel like you sometimes feel like God's forgotten me. 
like in the midst of my difficulty, that maybe my problems, my way is hidden from the Lord, that I'm not on God's radar, that he doesn't care about me as much as I wish he would. Now, one of the things that often happens when we're in these seasons of waiting and it seems like God is distant or not listening is we're, we're tempted when, when the prayers don't seem to be working or when we get tired of waiting, we, we, we are tempted to sort of take things into our own hands. Um, maybe to say it a different way, what we're tempted to do is to bypass God's plan, if at all possible, to end the waiting and to get what we want in whatever way we can, even if it means not following God's direction or will. So, for instance, let's say you're waiting on someone who really owes you an apology, okay? And you're tired of waiting, and so you just become resentful instead. And you kind of get to a better feeling in some ways or uh, whatever it might be in a way that where God says, be patient, be loving, be forgiving. We bypass God's direction. We do this in a, in a lot of ways. We do this sometimes in relationships. We bypass God's plan because we're, we're, t- we're tired of waiting. We do this with our, our work sometimes to get ahead. And so we, we, we take the route that we, we know is probably not good when it comes to balance in life, but we really want this and we're tired of waiting. So we, we get out of balance and out of whack <laughs> because we're tired of waiting. And this, this happens a lot. Here's what I want you to know today, and you can take this to the bank. It's our next fill-in. That waiting on God and his plan will always be better for you than not waiting and doing it yourself. Waiting on God to fulfill his plan is always better than not waiting. And the reason why that is, and the reason why you can trust that is because God is on an entirely different wavelength than we are in the sense of there's no comparison between our knowledge, our wisdom, our sight compared to his. And yet sometimes we still in, I would say, our lack of wisdom are not willing to wait on him. You know what that's like? This is going to be a little bit of a drastic example, but I think you'll get the point. That is like, when we sort of bypass God, it's like if you had to have a major surgery. Let's say heart surgery or stomach surgery, some major surgery. And you get to the hospital on the day of the surgery, and it was supposed to happen at 8 o'clock, but there was an emergency that happened, and your surgeon is unavailable. And 9 o'clock comes, still no surgery. And 10 o'clock comes, still no surgery. And you're getting tired of waiting for the surgery that you need. Bypassing God is like in that moment, storming in to the surgery room, taking the scalpel out of the doctor's hands and doing it yourself. No one would ever do that. The doctor and you and your knowledge, there's no comparison between the two. It's not going to be better for you. It might be quicker. It's not going to be better, though, for you to do your own heart surgery. You know that, right? You're going to die in a very real way. I hope you can catch the comparison. It is just as unhealthy when we bypass the great physician 
in order to get what we want or what we perceive we need quicker instead of trusting the one in whom there's no comparison between us and him. And Isaiah, as he's encouraging people to not doubt God's love, he continues in this section to share how big God is. Here's a lot of what he's going to write you already know, maybe. I just want you to let it sink in because some of you are tired of waiting. You just need to let this sink in. Verse 28, the very next verse. Isaiah writes, don't you know? Haven't you heard? Let me remind you of something. (laughs) The Lord is everlasting. So we have a start date and then our lives on earth end. It's like 80 years, 90 maybe, 50, whatever it is. I just want to remind you, God, he never had a start. He's always been. He's bigger than we can ever imagine. He's seen it all. He's been there through it all. He's no, he knows more than we could ever imagine. Isaiah wanted the Israelites to remember that. And he says, he is also the creator of the ends of the earth, and he doesn't get tired or weary He has greater understanding than you could fathom. All that you see, all that you enjoy, all that you love, just stop for a moment and recognize God created it all. He's that big. He's that amazing. And then Isaiah gets a little bit snarky with the Israelites, I would say. Or as my brother-in-law says, he gets a little bit salty with them. Um, Listen to some verses before, starting with verse 12, when it comes to the comparison between us and the God that we're tired of waiting on and getting resentful with. (laughs) Isaiah asks, so who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And it's kind of like, have you who can't wait on the Lord? Are you the one that measured all the waters in your hand? No, but God has. Or with the breadth of his hand, marked off the heavens. Did you? Did you guys mark off the heavens with your hand? I remember a few years ago, I needed to hang up a picture, and there was two holes I needed next to each other, and I didn't want to go get the tape measure. So I measured off the nail holes with the breadth of my hand. <laughs> it was kind of level, not, not great. That's about, that's about as good as it got for me, gets for me. I don't know about you, but I know that none of us have marked off the heavens with the breadth of our hands. We, you have a big God. The one we're getting resentful for, doesn't, don't think, knows what he's doing maybe in our waiting. Man, he's bigger than we can imagine. Ver, next part of verse 12. Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket? I remember when we first moved into our house, I needed to uh, borrow Grant's trailer to go get a bunch of rocks from Freegies. So I've been able to hold a whole bunch of rocks in a trailer, but God has held the dust of the entire earth in a basket. That's the God that we're not trusting in our times of waiting. How smart do you think that is of us? Or who's weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Verse 13, God has. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? 
Isaiah writes. Or who will instruct the Lord as his counselor? Now, I have to confess, I've done that. <laughs> like, have you ever been in those moments where you kind of think it because you'd never say it? Lord, if, if you want to know what you should do in this situation, just ask me because I know. <laughs> Isaiah's like, you know, sort of weeding that out a little bit and like, who can be the Lord's counselor? How presumptuous of us to think that we could. <laughs> Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? <laughs> I feel like I can enlighten God sometimes. The Lord does not consult anyone. He knows it all. Who taught him the right way? Nobody. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Was it you? No. And all of this to say, you and I, as we wait on the Lord, have a big, great, awesome God that we're waiting on and one that we can trust. There's this thing about Christmas that can bring awe, but especially to kids. I remember when our kids were maybe one, two years old, there were some Christmases where the best time to put up the Christmas tree was when they were in bed because then we could actually get it done. And so then they would wake up in the morning and the lights would be on and the Christmas tree would be on and I can still remember them just kind of standing there in awe. And then we get older and we don't have as many moments of awe, do we? We're either too busy or too smart or too cynical. This Christmas, what Isaiah wants you to do in your time of waiting, it's our next fill-in, is just to wait in the awe of God's greatness. Just stop and think about the things that we just talked about and recognize how big and how great the God is that you have. As great as he is, what's even better the greatness of his love. Uh, I'll admit to you that Isaiah, the book, is not the easiest book of the Bible to read. <laughs> it's not the hardest, but it's not the easiest either. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of messages in there that um, are of judgment, which are, are sometimes hard to read. But at the same time, there's, there's other stuff going on in there that is, is so beautiful. Um, interwoven through the whole message of Isaiah are these beautiful pictures of Christmas. There's these prophecies of Christmas. Like, did you know, some of you knew this, that the fact that Jesus would be born of a virgin girl or woman was predicted 700 years before it happened by Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, through God's prompting, predicted that the coming Savior would be pierced that he would stand silent in front of the people who'd want to kill him, that he would be crushed for our iniquities or for our sins. All of these beautiful prophecies done by Isaiah before any of them came to be. And so Isaiah is this beautiful Jesus writer. Isaiah could not miss the opportunity to encourage the Israelites in the midst of their wondering if God loved them with the message of the coming Savior. Verse 1. Isaiah, says God, 
I want you to comfort my people. And not just comfort them, comfort, comfort my people. Like, really comfort them. Number two, verse 2, speak tenderly to the people of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that. First of all, God's people's hard service has been completed. The, the literal word here for hard service in the, is the word warfare. Because of Jesus, the coming Savior, I want you to comfort Israel with the knowledge that the fight is over. The warfare against the devil has been completed. Number two, that her sin has been paid for. I will acknowledge that because I've been a Christian all my life, that I, that I hear my sin has been paid for, and I often don't let it soak in as much as I should. Because here's the alternative. If your sin has not been paid for, the alternative is then you need to pay for your sin. And some of us get wrapped up into that type of thinking. Even if we don't think we can pay for our sin, we still live in this sometimes mental game that we play that if I really screwed up, I really need to make up for it. Now, this might be true in your marriage, okay? (laughs) But it's not true with God. God doesn't sit up in heaven with a little attendance chart putting a smiley face sticker every Sunday you come to church and then the amount of stickers means how much blessing he's going to give you or whether you're going to get into heaven. It's been paid for. It's done. And the day that God calls us home to heaven, we can have zero wonderment of what's going to happen because it's all been done. And in fact, Israel will receive from the Lord double for all her sins. Let me explain that because it's beautiful. When you deserve punishment and don't receive it, you receive blessing because you didn't receive punishment. When you deserve punishment, don't receive it, and then the person gives you a gift on top of it, you've received double, haven't you? That's the story of a Christian. Because of Jesus, not only do we not receive punishment, but he gives us the blessing of heaven and of family and of life and of joy and all the things that you see around you that you're so thankful for received double from the Lord. Now, one other thing I want to point out here. Notice how it's in the past tense. Like, I thought this was 700 years before Jesus. Whenever the Hebrew uses the past tense for something that hasn't yet happened, the idea is to emphasize the certainty that it will. It's as if Jesus already had paid for sin. It's as if Jesus had already come and you've already received double for your sins. Now we get the benefit of looking back on Christmas and on Easter and Good Friday and to see that all that had been prophesied about by Isaiah absolutely did happen. And so if you're in the midst of waiting and you're tired of waiting, the next encouragement is this, to wait in awe of God's grace. Wait in awe of God's greatness. Wait in awe of God's great love. We call that grace. We call that grace. As we wrap up, um, I want to share one thing that you can expect from God in the season of waiting that you are in or will be in, um, because that's how Isaiah wraps up this chapter. 
I mean, Christmas is filled with expectations. What, what can we expect from God? Here's how Isaiah wraps it up. And so he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men, they'll stumble and they'll fall. But those who hope in the Lord will. And then he shares with us that which we can expect when we humble our hearts and just wait on the Lord. When you hope in the Lord, when you wait on the Lord, the King James Version says, you will receive a new Lexus with a bow on top, just like in the commercials. That's what we can expect this Christmas? No. How about this? But We'll have the perfect Christmas with the perfect family that all get along. And then you can sip hot cocoa together and hold hands around the Christmas tree while singing Silent Night in four-part harmony. I mean, if you just would wait on the Lord, your Christmas is going to be just perfect. Everyone's going to be happy, and you're all going to be able to sing like angels. Those who hope in the Lord will be given what they've been waiting for. Um, That's not it either. I wish that was it. Like, wouldn't it be nice that if we just humbled ourselves and waited on our awesome God, that every single time he'd give us what we've been waiting for? I would love that. And sometimes it happens. Many times it doesn't. So what does Isaiah say in the midst of your waiting? That if you hope in the Lord, he'll renew your strength. He doesn't promise to give you what you're waiting for. But when we wait on him, he promises to give you the strength to endure whatever season you're in. See, some of you, and sometimes me too, have been trying (laughs) to take on all the burden of whatever it's been that I've been waiting for. And honestly, emotionally, it's driving you nuts. And, and what God is saying here, and this is your, your takeaway, your application for today, next, next fill-in, that in the midst of the weight, transfer the weight. In the midst of the weight, when it feels like the burden of what you're waiting for is just coming down on you, and it's hard to be happy, and it's hard to be at peace, you need to transfer the weight of that burden and trust God. God gave me a, an illustration of this uh, two weeks ago um, that I think might be helpful as we close. So it happened that I was uh, directed by my wife to go uh, help someone move a large cabinet. And by large, I mean like eight feet tall, five feet wide, and we estimated it probably weighed over 500 pounds. So we had like four guys there, and it's not just the weight, it's also the size and how to, how to move this thing out of a doorway, you know, and to get it down and everything. And, and, and I mean, honestly, it seemed like an impossible task. The owner, though, uh, of the cabinet had, um, well, he had some of these handy-dandy lifting straps, which Quite honestly, I had no idea how to use them, but they showed me. The first time I I put it on, um, because I took one side, I put it on in a way that if there was weight on the straps, it would have choked me to death because I put (laughs) something around my neck. But anyway, what you're supposed to do is kind of uh, put this over your shoulders, 
And then you've got, um, see, I'm doing it wrong right now. But anyway, that, and then you lay the, um, the large cabin or whatever it is you're moving on the straps, and there's another guy on that side that's doing the same thing. And, I mean, it was, it was pretty easy. Not real easy, but it was doable. It was manageable. And, and here's why. Because what we did, what this contraption does is it transfers the weight from our arms and our hands to our shoulders and to the straps. And when you transfer the weight to your shoulders and the straps, you're able to endure that which you couldn't otherwise, like a large cabinet. (laughs) The same exact thing, my friends, is true with the burden that you're facing or that you may face. We just need to give it over to him. Mentally, we need to, to stop thinking like it relies on us. Mentally, we need to stop complaining like I can't be happy until this changes. We need to transfer the weight just like Isaiah shared with the Israelites so many years ago. And God will give you the strength to endure it. Next week, we're going to continue with another prophet named Micah who lived at the same type time as Isaiah. So I encourage you to come back for that as we uh, wrap it up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for your blessing and uh, for your presence with us. Lord, too often I minimize your greatness and I I, I don't remember how perfect and holy and, and wise you are. Lord, in those moments, I ask you to to help us all to just stand in awe of who you are and to remember your great love for us that was seen ultimately through your son, Jesus. We pray all this in his name and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so at this time, 